Uh, turn please to Luke in chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I just want to, be, to read um, the last uh, few verses. So I want to begin with verse 50. Luke chapter 24 and verse 50. As you find that, uh, let's uh, pray together. Father, this is your word. We believe it to be true, and we believe it to be true because uh, it comes from you. It's breathed out by you. This particular passage was penned by this faithful servant, Luke. Even as he researched and even as he sought out what to write and worked on it, we know that you were in him and working through him so that what he would think and what he would understand and what he would write would be precisely what you would want written. So we're grateful that we can read this passage and know when we do, we're hearing from you directly, well, through Luke. But we know it comes from you. So may we be attentive to it. Please, I pray, work this word in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24 and verse 50. This is the word of the Lord. And he, the he there is Jesus. And he led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. And then we say... The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We've been talking about encounters uh, with Jesus, um, the encounters that people had with Jesus. And, and we've been asking the question, what does this reveal about Jesus? And then we asked the question, what does this reveal about the, peop- the hearts of the people who encountered him? Uh, and then we asked the question, what about our hearts when we see Jesus like this in this situation? That these folks encounter Jesus. And then we ask what should be our response. We don't always take them up one by one just like that. But that's what's on our minds as we come to these particular encounters. I've chosen this particular passage because as I mentioned earlier. This is Ascension Sunday. And so this is the ascension of of Jesus. Uh, He's been... Revealing himself to his disciples for 40 days. And, and now he ascends. He's been revealing himself to make sure they understand that it really is Jesus himself who has been raised. They saw him die. And now it's important that they know he's alive because that means everything. It means that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. He didn't die for his sins, but for the sins of others. And once those sins were paid, then he was free to go, if you will. And he conquered sin. He conquered the grave uh, so that all who would believe in him might have life. So important. If you'll just look at a a particular verse in chapter 24, since your Bible's already open there. Uh, This is one of the appearances of Jesus to his disciples. Verse 39 of Luke 24. Uh, Jesus says to them, uh, see my hands and my feet. It is I myself. And that's exactly how it comes out in Greek. Well, you could translate the Greek passage like this. I, I am me. <laughs> and you go, really? Well, why do you have to, why don't you just say it's I? Well, 
He really, really, really wants them to know, I, I am, which has great theological uh, meaning, of course. He's saying, I'm God, I am, but I'm me, I'm myself. This is really me, Jesus. And so that's what he was doing during those 40 days, convincing them that he really uh, had risen and thus convincing them that it's really true. As he put it, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the way to the Father. There's no other way. And so he really wanted them to know that so that they could take this message out to everyone, every, everywhere. After this, of course, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, which is a, a great a Sunday of great drama where the Holy Spirit is poured out and, and we know what happens on that day. Uh, people from every nation hear the gospel in their own tongue, their own language. And it's a great time. And the church then we see begins to be numbered of 3,000 on that day. And it just continues and continues to continue uh, from there. So sometimes Ascension Day gets kind of squeezed and, and we don't really uh, celebrate it much. It happens on a Thursday. And so, well, you know, who really celebrates much on a Thursday? And so uh, we put off this Sunday to um, think about the Ascension uh, of Jesus. It's great significance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, do you remember that name? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor, had a very difficult time in history. Uh, during the time of the rule of the Nazis in Germany, during the time of the war. Bonhoeffer was arrested, um, I believe in April of 1943, and he was executed in April, I think, of 1945. Um, But on Pentecost Sunday of 1943, first Sunday of June, I believe it was, he, he writes a letter to his parents. He'd just been in prison a while, anticipated being in prison a while longer. Uh, everything in Germany was in despair, at least in terms of his own mind and his own thinking. Um, a dreadful time. And there he was. And he writes to his parents, and this is in a little book called Prisons, uh, Letters from Prison. He writes this. He says, Today is Ascension Day. And that means it is a day of great joy for all who can believe that Christ rules the world and their lives. And so you see, Ascension Day is to be a day of great joy. It was a day of great joy, even for Bonhoeffer, in the midst of that horrible situation. And why was it? Because on this day, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, as we professed in our Apostles' Creed. And the scripture lays out that figure of speech that says that he rules and reigns over everything. And Bonhoeffer says, since that's true, and that's what I think about on Ascension Day, then I'm filled with joy even while I'm in prison and even while the world's falling apart. Amazing. And it's the same reaction that the disciples said. They were filled with joy. Notice in verse 52. And they worshipped him, Jesus, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, that, I must say, that surprises me a bit. And here's why. Because Jesus was leaving them. I mean, for 
this time, it must have been a great relief for them to have Jesus pop in and out of their lives for this 40-day period. They had seen him crucified, and now uh, to see him uh, alive must have been a great relief for them on a number of different levels. But now he's saying, I'm, I'm gone from your presence. I won't be popping in and out anymore. And I thought they would be sad. When he first mentioned this to them on the night that he was betrayed right before his crucifixion, they were sad. I mean, he, he could, no matter what he said to them, well, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit with you and I'm still going to be with you and this is actually going to be better for you. And they still it didn't really register. And I would think, too, just the sadness of the friendship, the sadness of the presence. They'd lived life with Jesus all this time. They had, they, had, they had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching. I mean, couldn't you imagine how disappointing it would be? They, they say, who's leading the Bible study tonight? Oh, it used to be Jesus. And now I guess it's you. I mean, you know, uh, you just think about these, these, these things and how many times he bailed them out. Like there were thousands of people needing lunch. And so he goes to his disciples, how are we going to feed them? And they go, oh, we don't know. And so Jesus feeds everybody, thousands of people from a little boy's lunchbox. And uh, at that time there was this demon possessed boy and Jesus had been on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples were there. And the father came to, uh, the father of the boy came to these other disciples and said, could you, could you help my son? And they couldn't. And Jesus comes and bails him out. He, he delivers this, this boy from these demons. I don't know. You'd think, thinking about the fact that he's gone now and he won't be popping back in. We won't see him in the same way we did. It would make them sad, but it didn't. They were, they were filled with joy. There, were, there, were, there, were, there was something else, you see. Oh, he had taught them. If you go up, uh, up the page in, in, in Luke 24, we read this, that uh, uh, Jesus said to them, um, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Um, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And your witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. Uh, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I mean, he taught them from the scriptures. That must have helped. I mean, after his resurrection, they could really see it then. Um, he commissioned them. He says, you're going you're gonna to be my witnesses. And then he said, I'm going to send you the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. That knowledge would have really helped. And, and we'll come back to some of that. But, but what, I, what I want you to see is what they saw. What I want us to see is what they saw, this, 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 this biblical picture, if you will, of Jesus ascending. Now, when Luke writes his volume two, I read this earlier as well from Acts chapter one, which is volume two. Luke shows Jesus ascending in a cloud. Now, you mustn't think of a Cloud, cloud. Oh, it probably looked like a cloud in the sky. But, but that's not the point. The point is 
that he, he was taken up, no, taken in to the very presence of God. It's not like he went up there or out there into outer space or into a galaxy far, far away. It's that he went into the very presence of God. That's the cloud. Uh, if you read through the scripture, you find God's presence with people in a in the form of a cloud. When the Israelites left Egypt, there was a cloud, the presence of God leading them out. When they got to Mount Sinai, it was a cloud, the very presence of, of God. When the, when the tabernacle was built, when the temple was dedicated, there was a cloud, the great glory of God. The, the rabbis had a, had a word for it. They called it the Shekinah, the, the, the glory cloud, the Shekinah, the presence of God. And so that's what it, what they what they saw Jesus in a cloud, yes, but there's there, there, there's something else. Look at this. That they saw him ascend, lifting up his hands. Don't picture Superman. It didn't that that kind of lifting up his hands. It wasn't. This is the lifting up of his hands like a priest lifts up his hand. Turn back to Leviticus in chapter 9. Leviticus in chapter 9, verse 22. This is a passage about Aaron, the priest, high priest, Aaron, the priest, uh, making sacrifice and prayers on behalf of the people, all right? And so after all of that's done, after sacrifices are made, verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came down uh, from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, uh, they shouted and fell on their faces. In other words, worship. Um, when Aaron lifted his hands, he, he, he blessed the people. That was the posture of the priestly blessing or what we call the benediction. A blessing is a good word. A blessing is a, a word of favor, a word of acceptance. This benediction is been a good diction. Speak. It's speaking a good word. And it's God in a very real sense speaking. To, because turn to uh, Numbers and chapter 6. You know this. We've been over this ground before, but you've got to see it on Ascension Day. Numbers and chapter 6, verse 22. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, see, this is the blessing. This is the benediction. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, now, just hearing that, it's saying, this is God's good word. This is God's blessing upon you. Know that he'll keep you. Know that his face shines upon you. Now, that's a good thing. Uh, a shining face is a good thing. It's a favorable look. It's, it's I, I look upon you with favor and grace. Be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, here is the essence of all of that, verse 27. Verse 27. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I'll bless them. You see, he's saying to Aaron, when you lift up your hands and you make this pronouncement, this dedication, what you're doing is you're putting my name on the people. What does that mean? That means God is saying, I'm with them. You see, God is his name. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in Jesus. <laughs> his name is who he is. I am. So he says, when you put my name on them, what you're saying is that I accept them so much so that I'm actually present with them. God is saying, I'm the blessing. My presence with them is the blessing. Now, when did the priest pronounce the blessing? Well, he gave two, one in the beginning and one in the end. This is the second blessing, if you will, the, the blessing at the end. This is the blessing that God says, I've accepted the sacrifice. I've accepted the sacrifice, so now you know that I'm with you. Now you have my presence. I've accepted your prayers. Now you know I'm with you. The blessing is, is kind of like the report back. It's saying God has accepted it, and, and, and now... He's with you. And, and so the people would wait always for the blessing. They see the sacrifices and all that, and that was great, but, but, but the blessing is what kept it off. Now, here's a question for you. Why does Luke end his gospel with this blessing, but he doesn't begin the book of Acts with it? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, he wrote both. And when we read Acts chapter 1, it's kind of like... Um, uh, Luke rewinds a bit. I don't even know what rewind means. He backs up a little bit. We don't rewind anymore. Uh, he backs up a little bit. Uh, and uh, he goes over the same ground that he goes over in his gospel. But he doesn't lay out everything. You say these are two same things. But, but he doesn't put this here, this blessing. Why not? Here's why I think, not only me, but smarter people who do this kind of work. Turn back. To Luke in chapter 1. I won't read it, but just so you'll know it's there. This is how Luke begins his gospel. This is how, oh my goodness, how wonderful his writing, his thinking is, Luke, as he puts this all together. Because he begins with this scene. He begins with this scene of a priest, Zechariah, who's a righteous man, well-respected, whose wife is Elizabeth, who comes from the family of Aaron. So he's steeped in priesthood. And um, they have no children, and they're advanced in age. Uh, meaning they're beyond childbearing years, if you will. But as priest, it comes to be his turn to go in and offer incense in the temple, which is an honor for a priest to do. But the incense would stand for uh, uh, the prayers of the people. And he would go in and pray to pray on behalf of the people. And all the people were outside the temple. And they were outside waiting for him to come out. And as priests then, they were waiting for him to come out to bless them. And the blessing there, the rabbis tell us, would say, God has accepted our prayers. He is with you. I mean, that was crucial. No blessing, we're sunk. And so Zechariah, you might remember, goes into the temple. And, and while he's there, an angel shows up. And the angel says to him, uh, your wife is going to have a child. 
And now you'd think that Zechariah would be thrilled. You'd think that, that, that he'd jump for joy, but he doesn't. He's skeptical, as you might imagine. Some who've experienced infertility, you know that it's just a difficult time. And I suspect that was true for him. Plus, he's thinking, we can't have, any more ch- we can't have children anymore. And yet he is skeptical. So you know what happens? If the angel says, because you've been skeptical, you're not going to be able to speak until the child's born. No blessing until the end. It's, it's like Luke saying, I'm going to save the blessing until the end when the priest gives it. I'm going to save the blessing to the end till after the sacrifice is made. I'm going to save the blessing until the end, till the, till the priest, who is the priest, gives the sacrifice, which is the sacrifice. And, and then he'll give the blessing. And when he gives the blessing, you'll say, yes. That's where we are at this particular moment in Luke's gospel. If you've been reading it through with that in your mind, You'd be waiting just like all these people outside the temple in Zechariah's moment and waiting for the blessing and waiting for the blessing. And, and now here it is, but it comes now from, from Jesus. And no wonder they'd be filled with, with joy. And you see, Jesus' blessing is way better than the blessing that Zechariah could have given them or any of the priests uh, could, have, could have given them. In fact, Jesus doesn't even have to say anything. There's nothing here recorded that he actually says anything. Now, he may have, and they may have heard. And in fact, it could well have been some variation or the very, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Maybe maybe that's exactly what he said. But can you imagine hearing that, seeing Jesus? Um, Thomas. Goodwin, a 17th century theologian, puts words to the ascending Jesus, puts words in his mouth, and he says, I think it would have come out something like this. I've been dead, and in dying made a curse for you, and now that curse I have fully removed, and my father has acquitted me and you for it, and now I can be bold to bless you. And to pronounce all your sins forgiven and your persons justified. What is he saying? He says, I think what Jesus was saying was something to the effect of, well, I've been made a curse, but the Father has taken my sacrifice and acquitted me and you. Now I can bless you so that you can know that your sins really are forgiven. It's just like the priest making sacrifice and coming out and blessing them. The priest making sacrifice and said, okay, now the Lord may bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and all of that. He accepted the sacrifice. Now he's here, present with you. And, and, and once you hear that, once you know that, that he's really here with you, then the question is, therefore, whom shall you fear? No one than you who is with me. Right. Who can condemn you? Well, no, no, no one, because you've already acquitted me. You've already accepted me. You're ruling and reigning. The situation seems bleak. 
but I know that you're ruling and reigning. So I'll have peace, even in the midst of this circumstance and situation. One author put it like this. Jesus doesn't have to speak because he's the benediction. He goes on like this. He says, whereas Aaron could lift up his arms and pray for God's face to shine upon the people. In seeing Jesus ascending into the heavens, these believers saw the actual face of God shining. It is one thing for someone to tell you that God's countenance is lifted upon you, that his face is shining towards you, that his presence is with you, not simply his presence, not his judgment presence, but his gracious presence is with you. It's another thing to see it. To see it in the face of Jesus. So while they had held out for God's lifted countenance, they now saw it actualized. While they had heard of God's graciousness, now they had seen him who is gracious. While they had longed for the peace promised in the benediction, now they knew, now they knew him who was peace, you see. And the great high priest came and not only pronounced the benediction, but he became the benediction. Here, the medium is the mediator, and thus he is not to be looked beyond, but rather looked to. Those who saw the ascension witnessed the personification of Aaron's benediction in Jesus Christ. Aaron spoke it, declared it. Jesus was it. That's what they saw. Let me read that again. I probably read this 50 times as I first saw it in the Westminster Theological Journal. Whereas Aaron could lift his arms and pray for God's face to shine on the people in seeing Jesus ascending into the heavens, these believers saw the actual face of God shining. Well, they heard of God's graciousness. Now they had seen him who is gracious. Well, they had held out for God's lifted countenance. They now saw it actualized. Well, they had longed for the peace promised in the benediction. They now knew him who was peace. The great high priest came not only to pronounce the benediction, but he became the benediction. Here the medium is the mediator, and thus he is not to be looked beyond, but rather looked to. Those who saw the ascension witnessed the personification of Aaron's benediction in Jesus Christ. No wonder their response was joy. Can you imagine? And, and then they went into the temple and blessed God. They received this blessing from God, my presence with you, and they couldn't help but bless him, which, which means to praise him. And they did it in the temple. Can you imagine? They did it in the very temple where the veil had been ripped they did it in the very temple where those who crucified Jesus were going. And when they blessed God, what they, what they blessed him about was that he had raised and then even taken up the Lord Jesus to rule and reign. And they said, no, no, he's the priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the blessing. 
This whole temple, everything that it is, and everything that it means, and everything that it meant, is Jesus. They received the blessing, and they blessed God, and they blessed everybody in the temple. Now, do you wonder what Jesus is doing now, now that he's, he's ascended? Um, one person wrote to me this week and said the ascension of Jesus in the year 2020 means that this is the day Jesus began to work from home. Uh, maybe we resonate with that. little liturgical humor. But in Hebrews in chapter 10, we see what Jesus is doing. Verse 11, the author of Hebrews writes, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He said the, the, the earthly priests always stood. They never got to sit down. Why? Why didn't they ever get to sit down? Because they were never done. They were never finished. There was always another one and another one and another one and another day and another year. They were always offering sacrifices. Uh, verse 12, but... When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down. Why did he sit? He sat because he was done. And he sat because he was enthroned. He was done with the sacrifice, now ruling and reigning over it. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I have time for that whole sentence. But just this sense of when it was done, it was done. In the sense that everyone who was and who would ever be saved. At that moment in time were perfected, declared righteous, justified in the sight of God. And they were the very ones who at any moment in time were being sanctified, perfected, and yet being made holy. Perfected, being set apart to be made holy, to be declared righteous. It's finished, thus he's sitting down, that's what he's, he's doing, he's, he's ruling and, and, and reigning, uh, even now, he's interceding for us, if you back up a page or so in Hebrews, and look in Hebrews chapter t- uh, 7, and verse uh, uh, 25, it says, consequently, that is because he's finished, consequently, he is able to save to the utter- uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, he's always interceding for us. He's always blessing. And it's fascinating in, the, in, the, in what they saw when Jesus had his hands out, he was ushered into the presence of God. They never saw his hands go down, best we can figure. He just, he just up, out, over, in, whatever it was, into the presence of God like this. Blessing. And so he lives to bless. He lives to benedict if you will. He lives to speak the good word of God to us. Which is, you're forgiven. You're justified. 
you're mine. And he can say that because he's on a throne. He's on a throne that's a throne of grace, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. He's on a throne of grace, you see. And so, so when he's ruling over his people, the way he makes decisions, the way he thinks, is the way of grace. He doesn't judge on the basis of what we've done or not done. He judges there on the basis of what he's done. And thus he's free then to think grace. He's free then to think I'll do what's best for them. I'll be gracious to them. I'll make my face to shine upon them. That they might have, you see, see peace. And he prays for us. Um, John 17, I won't go there, but maybe you can turn to that passage sometime this week and, and read this high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is how he, how he prays. Let me just note a few things. In verse 11 of John 17, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one, even as we are one. He's always praying, you see, interceding for us that we be kept, that our faith be strong and we don't fall away. He, he prays that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That's what Jesus is praying at any moment in time. Do you ever have a moment in time? Uh, you do, I do. Where you're not joyful? Think about this one. Who intercedes for you, for me. Blessing us by saying, have my joy in you. Even, even the joy that I had when I went to the cross. It's not a joy where you're giddy and smiling and laughing necessarily. But it's something within you that won't go out. It says, I'm safe. Good will happen. He prays that we be kept from the evil one. The evil one comes against us. We're powerless in our own power against him, but not in the power and strength of Christ. And so he prays always that we be kept... Uh, from the evil one. He prays that, that, that the Father would sanctify us in truth. That is, as we're reading the word, you realize that when we're reading the scripture, that Jesus is praying for us, that we be made holy through it, that we be sanctified. It isn't just my prayer of illumination as we come to the scripture for a sermon, or your prayer even as you pray, that God will help you understand. But Jesus, our high priest, is blessing us by saying, oh, be sanctified by this. May this work holiness in you be sanctified. May they be all one uh, so that the world may know that you've sent me. In other words, can this group of people actually come together from this disjointed, fractured world? And can this group of people come together in such a way on the North Lawn as we worship together? Can they come together in such a way that everybody looking on will go, wow. Jesus must be the Messiah sent from God. That's what he's praying for us. That's why we have confidence that we can actually come together again to worship in one place in these days. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. And so all the while that we're here, Jesus is praying that we'd come to be where he is. Now, that's one I have deep in my head. 
then I trust if I have a conscious death experience that I'll be thinking about that. That Jesus is praying right then that I'd be with him. Because if that's what he's praying, I'm in great shape. No matter what my condition. Because he's praying that I'll be with him. Then he prays that the love uh, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. And we know that the Father accepts these prayers of Jesus because after the sacrifice was made and after the prayers are prayed, he blesses us and he says, the presence of God is with you. Your name is on him. And so he would go in glory and then he would pour out his spirit upon us. And when he pours out his spirit upon us, then he comes to us, as he said, and makes his home in us by way of the spirit of God. God isn't fractured, he's one. And so when the spirit comes, God comes. When God comes, as Jesus said, uh, my father and I will make our home in you, John chapter 14, verse 23. And so we know that he's present with us. And that's this great blessing. Let me ask you this just really. Do you see him like that? Do you see the blessing Jesus? Do you know him like that? And if so, how how does that change your life really? How does that change your life really? You know... Many people believe in this God over there, God out there, transcended God. Yeah, I suppose there's God out there somewhere. But, but, but you see, Jesus brings all of this up close and personal. It isn't just God out there, you see. It's God right here. With us. Sometimes that's when it's difficult to believe. Sometimes it's difficult to believe when the world is chaotic and so is my life. It's, it's difficult to believe when the world is suffering and so is my life. It's difficult perhaps to believe when I look out and I see all the desires and intentions for life. I, I realize they're not being fulfilled. The things that I actually thought would happen that aren't and I want this and I want that and now I think that's not going to happen and that's not going to happen. And then you say, well, is he really really Blessing. And the answer is yes. You see, when when these disciples would see Jesus blessing like this and and even in glory, and and that would be the picture in their mind. You know, it's always interesting to me that the the last picture of Jesus in their mind isn't the cross, though they would never forget it, isn't the empty tomb, though they would never forget it. It's Jesus ascending. And they would never forget it. No doubt, I trust when Luke did his research, he wasn't there. So he would do research. And I suspect more than one disciple told him of this picture. Of what they saw of Jesus. Blessing. And they would know that their lives weren't going to be a bed of roses. Many of them would die martyrs' deaths. Be tortured in various ways. I wonder if they didn't have 
going through their minds at all times. My name is upon you. My spirit is within you. I'm with you. I'm keeping you. My face is shining to you. Be at peace. Be at peace. Have you ever wondered why the priests would raise their hands? I don't know that I, maybe if you find it in the scripture where there's a description as to the why of it, let me know I haven't found it yet and I could have missed it. It's just to do, it just seems the thing to do. I don't think it's because they're saying, hey, look at me. You know, sometimes people in important positions stand up in front of a group of people and raise their hands like, hey, look at me. That's not it. Can't be it at all. Uh, maybe it's some sense of authority. Certainly they had authority under God and Jesus, of course, had all authority. I think it's this that the priest was saying on behalf of God come on in come into my presence come on almost like if I could say it irreverently a divine hug maybe a better a divine embrace maybe that sounds better but that just sense of it and so you see when the benediction would come after sacrifices were made, when the benediction came after Jesus had made sacrifice and was ascending, and, and, and he, says, he kept his arms up like the priest saying, oh, I'm with you. Hmm. I pray that we know that. Let's pray together. Father, um, we pray for all of us that we would have a real sense of your embrace your presence among us uh, not because we've checked off all our boxes and we've done this and we've done that and it's simply because Jesus has done this and done that and he's done that for us and he's enabled us to believe it and so here we are knowing your gracious presence I pray that we'd know it in these days of course in the times of uncertainty and just even thinking about for some going outside going out of your house going back to work going back to this place or back to that place and the anxiety that may, may be forming and be really true in us. And so, so I pray that we'd, we'd know your presence with us. And whatever is the wise thing to do, it wouldn't be out of fear. But we would have peace, freedom to do what is really best for us. But Father, that peace we would know at all times because there's so many things that we face in the world in which we live even beyond our present virus situation. Relationships. Just the sadness and the grief of life. The decisions that we have to make. Uh, be it raising children 
context of marriage, our work life, school, all these things. Let us really have a sense that you are with us. That we're accepted by you because of Jesus. And that we can really rest in that. Some are facing major difficulties. Be with them, please. And, And Father, may we know this blessing to such a degree that we turn and worship you and bless you. But not only that, that we know this blessing so well that we become a blessing to others through the course of our lives, just how we live and and how we speak of Jesus, that, that others would really know him and receive this blessing as well. May we be a church that knows the blessing and that blesses you, God, and then becomes a blessing to all those around us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.